Welcome to Professor Forever. I am the Professor Forever. Just recovering from a day feeling a little weird and it raining continuously for the last, I don't know, 36 hours. A friend of mine, well, two friends of mine were visiting and one got strep throat and I think it came with the weather. And then I was feeling a little weird yesterday. Anyway. So in the last podcast episode, I read a story by Stephen King, Um, that feeling, you can only say what it is in French. I was just thinking about the title of that story, how complex the syntax is, and I think it's a wonderful guidepost to how complex the story is itself. But before I get into the analysis of that, and I really do hope that you listened to me reading that story or looked it up or both, um, because I mentioned a few themes and topics that I wanted to discuss on this episode, analyzing them in this story. And I would love to know what you think about these points as well. And remember, you could always post on my extra credit with Professor Forever Facebook page, or you can send me messages to professorforever1 at gmail.com. Okay, before I start to talk about this particular story, which is a horror story, I want to talk about Stephen King's writing. So, of course, he is known for his horror novels, and I like a good Stephen King novel. It, probably my favorite, but I feel like his horror novels are a little more formulaic than his short fiction. And this short horror fiction is a testament to that. But I want to say his short literary fiction, horror or not, is sublime. I use examples of his short fiction in my creative writing classes to show what an excellent master of prose he is. So if you want to read some more about of Stephen King and see what I'm talking about with his mastery of short prose, uh, try The Death of Jack Hamilton, historical fiction. Um, That is one I use in my classes routinely. So anyway, now to this story. It's a road trip story, and it is up to the reader to decide what they think exactly the setting is. The setting could be a dream. It could just be stream of consciousness with a little guilt thrown in. 
Or it could be, and this is where I am going to assert my reading of it, it is a story of someone in the moment of death. When I think of that plot, I connect several pieces of literature right away. Um, Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge by Ambrose Bierce is a classic story of the moment of death and how time gets warped and wrinkled. I also thought of another, I, I guess I wouldn't call it a work of art exactly, although Twilight Zone does have its own artistic merits. Um, I did think of a Twilight Zone episode also while I was analyzing this story. It is one that has a lot of repetition in it, and this story has a lot of repetition in it, where a woman finally figures out her place in reality. Um, I don't know what that one is called, so maybe I shouldn't have even brought it up. But um, it also reminds me of a movie, Waking Life, by Richard Linklater. Do you know that one? Wiley Wiggins at his moment of death and what he goes through, um, the character from Dazed and Confused. It also reminds me, so I hope you're writing all these down because they're fabulous, um, except for the Twilight Zone episode because I couldn't remember the name, but... Uh, all the other ones I'm remembering, <clears throat> excuse me. So Robert Olin Butler has a book of prose poetry called Severance. Each prose poem is 240 words long. And why is that? Because each subject has been decapitated in some way. And so some science says that your consciousness goes on for at least a minute and a half after decapitation. And that's what he did. He took that idea and used it as a template uh, for poetry. So each subject is talking as fast as humans can talk, which I guess he considers 80 words per 30 seconds. So 30 times three, that's the 90 seconds. 80 times three, that's 240 words. Wonderful uh, book of prose poetry. Okay. I said in the last podcast that I feel like the most salient topics in this story, other than death, are marriage, consciousness, and religion. So let me start with religion. So in this story, uh, Carol Shelton, who is our speaker, and she doesn't hardly speak at all, most of her dialogue is in memory. Um, so, but she's thinking, and it is a stream of consciousness, uh, repetitive type of prose. But she sees a billboard. There's an image of a billboard with Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, with her hands outstretched, uh, asking people along the highway in Florida to donate. Uh, this Mother of Mary Charities, or whatever it's called, we help the homeless, won't you help us? That's the 
tagline that is supposed to get to people. So Carol Shelton thinks of this billboard over and over again, which clues the reader in to think that there's probably guilt. Uh, She is experiencing some guilt as she is dying. It also blends into stories of her past, where her grandmother gave her a mother of Mary, uh, a Mary mother of Jesus medallion and said, all the hard days are coming. And that line is also crucial to the understanding of this story, I think. Um, So she talks about deja vu, and that is what the title is about, that feeling. Uh, You can only say what it is in French. So she's having a lot of deja vu, which is forecasting the future, right? We feel when we experience deja vu that we have already seen that. That's what deja vu means in French, already seen. But science has since said that it's forecasting the future. It definitely represents a wrinkle in time, whether it's you believe it's from the past or from the future. Deja vu is one of those glitches in the matrix that we experience as humans here on Earth. Um, <clears throat> so there's a lot of time warping in this story. And so then the repetition makes a lot of sense too, right? Um, when it comes to deja vu, King writes one thing that I think is very instrumental to understanding what is going on in the story. He describes deja vu near the end of the story as part dream, part chemistry, part misfire in the brain. Well, coincidentally, all of those things can be also attributed to the moment of death, at least according to people who have had near-death experiences. Um, Most people say they see a white light, and then they see people that they... Uh, have lost coming towards them to welcome them. There are people, however, who see hell and images of hell and then are, you know, somehow scooped out of that because they come back to life here. Um, So the hell imagery is interesting because Carol Shelton, it's about Carol Shelton and her husband, Bill Shelton, on their 25th anniversary. That's the bottom line plot. Um, but she asks her husband in memory, uh, what, it, what does he think happens when you die? And her husband responds that he thinks, if you believe in hell, you go to hell. If you believe in heaven, you go to heaven. Or you might just end up in Grand Rapids. Um, I guess they're saying that might be a purgatory. I guess King's saying that might be a purgatory. Um, so that's very interesting that these thoughts are coming to Carol Shelton as she is dying, and they are dying in a plane crash. That is my interpretation of this story. What is yours? Uh, King talks a lot about marriage through the vehicle of the speaker, Carol Shelton, um, using some imagery to describe how Carol Shelton feels about her husband after 25 years of marriage. Um, one interesting part, Carol Shelton points out that it's the silver anniversary and she sometimes feels like that, like silver. So what would that imply? Um, kind of cold 
inflexible, right? Cast in a shape or a substance that does not give in very much. Um, talks a lot about marriage in terms of secrets. And there is a big secret in this story that uh, Carol is holding, and we don't, we can't tell as readers if her husband knows um, that she aborted a child or not. She may have told him, like she told her religious family, that it was a miscarriage. So all of these images are coming to this person as they are about to probably in their mind face their maker. Um, so with consciousness, you know, the repetition, the folding, the it's hard to tell if this is a dream within a dream or if it's just dying or if it's just memory. But it's interesting to go through and draw those conclusions for yourself. Um, there is an homage to another Twilight Zone episode. I think it's called Terror at 20,000 Feet, uh, where Carol Shelton looks at the altimeter in the Learjet in which they are traveling um, It's and sees that they are descending quite rapidly. Um, and then she feels like she knows that they're never going to make it to their destination. Very complex, lots of moves um, in this story. I wanted to talk a little bit about marriage anyway, because I just celebrated my 20th anniversary. Um, it wasn't really my 20th anniversary, but if you're like me and my partner, we celebrate different um, moments in our coupling. So one moment that we celebrate is when we first went out. And I think we knew right away that there was something special going on. So I have been coupled with my partner for 20 years in that sense. I got married on Halloween in 2008. So in that sense, it's only 14 years uh, that we've been legally married. But because we're gay, we couldn't marry before then. So, But we did engage or come together in a domestic partnership before that. So all of these different anniversaries are special to us. Um, but I have never been in a relationship this deep and this long. The longest relationship I have had besides this marriage and this coupling has been seven years. So seven years compared to 20 is a huge difference. And so... I can say that what I feel, and we've come to moments uh, in our marriage or in our coupling where we thought maybe we weren't going to make it, but I think what we learn to do is communicate. And there is another line in the story that talks about that with marriage. Um, she, Carol Shelton says that, you know, communication being heard is what marriage is all about. That's what she says. And boy, do I agree with that idea. Communication is key, whether it is, you know, debating, talking softly, arguing, and then cooling off and coming back together. Uh, 
if you let things grow, resentments grow inside you, that can be poison to a couple. Um, so if I'm giving a tip, I would say, make sure you talk about things before they grow inside you. Um, there is this idea also that King talks about in the story that love changes along the way. And after a certain number of years, it becomes this weedy species of love. I love that description. Uh, that would be hard to pull out anyway. I think that that is true as well. And I know some people who are in relationships that I feel like are not the best relationships, but they stay in it. And when I think about why they're staying in it, I think familiarity and the not wanting to go back out into the world and be single is a huge part of that. So that demonstrates the weedy species of love. Now, is that a good thing? I don't know. Uh, I guess everybody has to determine for themselves. One thing that I really wanted to avoid as a couple uh, going into a huge commitment like marriage was I wanted to stay my own individual self. We knew a couple, Jason and Lisa, uh, who when they came together, they no longer retained their own individuality. And we called them Jalisa because they became this one entity. Um, and I am sure that in some ways I have become one entity. I don't think you can avoid it completely, but we still have our own friends. We certainly have friends that we enjoy friendships with together single people and couples, but we also have our own friends and we have our own hobbies and we do go out and do things without each other. And I think that's really important because then you can bring in different aspects of life to expose your partner to. If you're always together, always thinking the same way, always doing the same things, uh, you are in fact taking one life and splitting that into two instead of taking two lives and bringing them together in an addition sort of way. So that has always been important to me, and I feel like we're doing a pretty good job. The other tip I want to say about marriage uh, in light of my anniversary is a thing I learned. And it's obvious, but you don't think about it very often. At least I didn't. People change. Um, you know, we go on Facebook and we see people from our youth. And a friend of mine pointed out, you know, when you're young and you make a friend, that's a huge part of your life. Because if you are 10 and you have been friends with this person for four years, that's almost half of your life, right? And so there is something to be said about that. However, you have to monitor who you are now and who those Facebook friends are now. I have had to let go of some friends that I reconnected with because I they changed into people that I don't recognize and I wouldn't pick out of a crowd to be friends with. So it's not easy to do, but it's worth inspecting these things in your life. So you have a partner. They are not static no human is. They are going to change. And here's where communication comes in again. If there's a change that you uh, that surprised you or was very abrupt, uh, talking about it is key. 
But you have to let a person change the way they're going to change. And in some instances, that might lead to separating uh, as a couple. And perhaps in that way, it's easier to separate if you can think about change and how it is inevitable and how this just happened. I think that uh, stories and movies deal with this instance of uncoupling quite well, right? Where you're friends and you say, it just didn't work out, but we're still amicable. Hard to do in real life, but it is possible that you do couple with someone that changes so much during the time you're together that it doesn't make sense anymore to stay together. So I think inspecting all of these angles to your relationship is key in keeping a marriage healthy, fresh, and able to morph. And a lot of times, if you've chosen the right partner, morphing is really good, right? A person changing brings a whole new aspect into the relationship as a whole. So I'm hoping you have that kind of uh, relationship. I'm hoping that your changes are ones that are healthy for your relationship. But if they aren't, I hope that you're able to realize that and realize it's not the end of the world if you have to separate uh, from your loved one and then move on and maybe become friends, maybe stay friends. You know, I I never understand. Here's, here's a flaw of mine. I never understand why my exes don't want to be great friends with me, right? Now we have that part, the fighting part, the coupling part over And why can't we go back to what it was that drew us together, which usually was an intellectual attraction? But then again, you know, I cannot predict nor demand what other people, how other people view a past relationship. So, but anyway, that's my take on the story, uh, the wonderful Stephen King story. I wanted to tell you about his other literature. That's really good, the short fiction. I hope you enjoyed the reading of the story. It was actually my partner, now that I'm talking about marriage, that asked me to read more for the podcast. But she did say, is that illegal? I don't know. Uh, But I always say where I got it from. I got it from The New Yorker. It was Stephen King, the author. So I do my attribution. Um, As a retired professor, I know that that is very important. So, um... Okay. Let me know how you think. Post it on the Facebook page. Send me a message. Thanks for listening. And above all, keep thinking. She's got no lessons planned for me Because she's not that fancy She's a professor forever Professor forever Professor for